How are we today, everyone? I'm Tyler Coe. Welcome to my mental health show. Remember that you can watch this program, recorded versions of it, on YouTube and listen to it on Spotify, iTunes, most of your other audio platforms. We typically do the show on Monday nights. Tonight we're doing it at 7 p.m. Central. Sometimes uh, it's going to be a little bit earlier this season. Uh, this new season, number two, first episode. So excited to have all of you guys here. Uh, we have a tremendous guest on the show tonight that we're going to get to here in a little bit. But just wanted to welcome you guys back. It's so good to be hanging out with you guys again, diving into the conversations. Uh, and man, we're off to a hot start, aren't we? The hot mess <laughs> the world is in has gotten even messier. And I think we all kind of fall trap. I know that I have that with the beginning of each new year, we expect mostly subconsciously, right, that we all get a blank slate, that the world is going to change for us, that our mindsets are going to change, new habits will form, uh, things are going to get better, right? And while all those things can and do happen for some of us, the reality is, is that we're still stuck in the storm. January 1st is just another day, guys. I think we all know that. And the struggle is still here. And for each of us, it's different. I, I think we could all agree that it is insanely tough to maintain, let, a, let alone progress when it comes to our mental well-being during, frankly, these unbearable times. But we have to, right? Because we have to keep pushing forward. We have to keep fighting. We have to keep picking ourselves back up. And so many of you, myself included, we know that work. We know how to do that. We know that we got to continue strengthening our base, which we work on doing, but how many of us know how to actually take a break? Specifically, giving our mental health a break. And I know for myself, I am terrible at that. I am so bad at that. And I've recently been diving in, um, kind of looking inward and realizing that I do not know how to relax. I do not know how to breathe in a moment. I don't know how to reset. I do not know how to restore. And that's something I got to work on, yeah. Um, because restoring our health and giving ourselves a moment to breathe is vital, right? Like, yeah, no duh. But it's hard to fit that in when we're focused and dealing with the horse race of which apocalypse is going to kill us first, right? Is it our democracy's upheaval and subsequent civil war? Is it going to be the ice shelf that melts and like swallows up every coastal area? Um, maybe it's the new variant to end all variants of COVID. Not to mention Joe Rogan's Boogaloo Boys, the increasing wealth gap literally sending us to the streets and possibly World War III kicking off in the Ukraine. It's like, dude, Earth, I just woke up, man. Can I just grab a cup of coffee before we get started with this? And we say it a ton on this show, and I know you guys hear it often, that um, if you did get out of bed today, that's a victory. But I think we all know we need to make that victory a little bit sweeter, right? How do we continue to abdicate for our own mental needs and address others with, within a restored state. Max Hearts, full health bar. So to start off 2022, um, I wanted to bring on somebody who I think can help us make a great first step in that direction. And he is one of the most well-rounded experts that we've ever had on the show thus far. He is a licensed professional counselor supervisor. He is a level two restoration therapist, master trainer, for mental health first aid, and oh yeah, by the way, he fit in being a vocational minister between all of that and 20 years of experience working with adolescents and their families, individuals and couples. So without further ado, let's go ahead and bring him on. Mr. Michael Cox, how are we doing today, my friend? I'm doing well, man, with that voice and that introduction, man, I could carry you everywhere. <laughs> 
<laughs> Man, I, I'm so glad that we were able to do this. It's funny, the, the last time we met up to go grab coffee and the world was in a different place, and it's wild how just in two months, things can be just so much different. And I think that's right. so common when it comes to our mental health is that we think we're doing something good, or maybe we are, and then boom, another reality sets in, another obstacle happened to fall at our feet. It's just tough. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you guys, why we uh, take each day for what it's given and try to enjoy it. I mean, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's funny, we, we had such a good conversation when we got to hang out. And I think that one of the things that stood out to me most is that you were talking about your path and what you were, uh, what you used to be doing. And you were, you know, not necessarily, I guess, I don't want to use the word settled, but you were in this great place. But it's almost as if you looked out your window and you were like, I got to do more. Not that anybody forced you to do any more, but you saw that need and then you went to go do that. So I'd love for you to kind of tell folks a little bit about your path and like what you're doing right now. Yeah. So uh, for about 13 years, started when I was in college, um, I was a vocational minister. So ordained into the ministry and uh, worked with adolescents or families primarily, uh, except for like the last year and a half of doing that. And I was a, um, a lead pastor. And, you know, I think that the, the theme throughout my entire ministry time was I found myself working with individuals that weren't your I guess, typical churchgoers. Um, there was times where I would get in trouble because I wasn't focusing on primarily on the people in the church. Uh, oftentimes it was folks outside of that and began to realize that, especially working with students, there were things that young people were dealing with that I just wasn't equipped to deal with. Um, I think obviously I could pray with them, uh, read scripture with them. Um, and for some reason, it, at the time, it didn't seem like that was enough. Um, I don't want that to sound blasphemous, but it was. it just felt like it wasn't enough. And I felt I needed more equip, uh, more equipment behind me. So I went back to school, uh, got my master's degree in counseling, um, did some social uh, ministry type stuff where I was working with individuals out in the community dealing with day to day life problems. But um, it just didn't feel like I was enough. And also students coming to me, families coming to me with things that um, I just couldn't let go. Like for me, just praying didn't feel like uh, that was where God wanted me to stop with that. And so uh, I entered in the mental health field. Um, and started out in crisis intervention, so I just jumped right in um, and been doing it ever since. It was about 2008, I think, is when I made the transition. I mean, that's that's quite the jump, right? Like, and <laughs> it's so fascinating when I meet people like you and we hear about people like you of like, they had this path and they were going down and they're like, now nah, I'm gonna go this way. And it becomes mm -hmm. something more fulfilling. And I believe that's kind of been the way for you and you've touched so many lives. And you know, one of the things I wanted to, um, that I kind of mentioned at the top, um, restoration and getting restored. Mm -hmm. Michael, can you help us out with that? Can you explain to me a little bit about yeah. restoration therapy? Because it sounds like something we all could use. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll, I'll, do, I'll give a, a, a little bit of a disclaimer. I had a friend, really good friend of mine, um, once saw, I guess on Facebook, I was on there doing a a, uh, I was, had a conference coming up and the, the restoration therapy tag was on there with this flyer and she sent me this 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 text message and was like what is this restoration stuff you're not out there trying to turn people from gay you're not trying to turn restorative therapy I was like come on you know me a little better than that that's not what we're messing with um, restoration therapy um, is a basic it's a it's a model that's um, has a number of different things that come in and the premise of it it talks about how all of us have two very basic needs, love and trust, right? From the get, we all have those two needs in our lives. Love has a lot to do with our identity. 
Trust has to do with our safety. Were we in safe environments growing up and throughout life? Um, and it goes from the premise that there are violations of love and trust that cause us to respond a certain way, like our coping mechanisms. How do we do our self-preserving mechanisms? And so restoration therapy helps you go from what we call a pain cycle. We identify when you're dysregulated, what's happening in you when you're dysregulated. And typically um, that violation of love and trust is pushing a button against something that's happened in your life. Right, could be trauma, could be bad experiences, could be a number of different things, but it's pushing up against that button and it causes a response, a pain response. And so we have to identify that violation of love and trust and an individual typically that has had a violation of love um, either blames or shames, right? Blames others for not loving them the way they should be or shames themselves, something must have been wrong with me. When it comes to that trust or safety, it, an individual's response might be um, trying to control or trying to escape, right? And there's a combination of any of those that can happen in that point of violation of love and trust. Uh, you know, with that, we, talk, we call it a pain cycle, right? We look at what happens in that process when I'm feeling a certain way and I respond, which isn't much different than many other models, right? Many people can sit in and think about what's my junk and what's happening in my life. The difference in, with the restoration therapy is there is a four-step process, a mindfulness um, tool that helps you transition from what we call from pain to peace and identifying who you are so that pain is usually a lie right about who you are when you're dysregulated and so we have to identify what's true about you what is true once we identify what is true that's the bridge between your pain and your peace cycle so when it's time to engage trying to communicate trying to relate to someone it's going from pain to peace but that four-step process helps you in that transition so basically it helps you regulate your emotions and how to engage with others gotcha you know just thinking off the top of my head when you're talking about identifying the pain that like the real you like what really is there instead of the external things that you're telling yourself so when you run into people with a mental affliction let's say depression is that tougher to kind of get through somebody that kind of collapses on themselves if they went through a painful experience but then adds on other pain that might not be real yeah it can be tough um, and a little harder um, you know, so the beauty of restoration therapy it can be used and coupled with many other modalities um, and practices and so depending on the level of severity there may be some other tools that we would have to use um, to help individuals, whether it's CBT or even trauma-informed care, some of those things to help an individual through that process. Um, but I don't know if it's harder. It just probably takes more, um, more, more focus and more tools. Gotcha. I mean, if you could kind of um, at least give us kind of a little bit of a, a preview as far as like, you know, how does that start off with those those four steps you said? You know, like what kind of like what do you work through to kind of get to that switch over to the peace side of things? Yeah. So if you think about it, um, when someone is what we call dysregulated, basically your emotions are not at a regulated state. And so the very first thing is we have to begin to do a little bit of a narrative search and hear a person's history, things that they've been through, experiences that they've had, those things that begin to develop those violations of love and trust. And so we have to get that narrative behind because what we do know for most people, adults, but also with adolescents, what we do know is our pain, our hurt, our history, um, plays into how we respond when it comes to our pain. And so we have to identify that first. We call it chasing the pain um, and identifying where were those things establishes, established. Excuse me. And typically it's not in one event, right? Um, obviously, if somebody's experienced a, tra a, tra a traumatic event, that's one thing. But over time, they've experienced things. So when someone is dysregulated, let's say someone's in my office, 
and they're talking through their difficult times, whether it's relating to someone else, um, experiences, we identify what that, that pain is. And so the very first step in that process is identifying and stating, right now I feel, right? So identifying what the emotion is at the time. And it could be uh, not good enough, right? Someone may feel like I'm not good enough. Uh, when someone feels like they're not good enough, what is their coping or what is their way of reacting? It's typically something like um, either retreating away and escaping or, um, or, or shutting down, or it might be like I do, right? When I feel like I'm not good enough, I perform, right? I try to prove how good I am when I'm in my pain. And so that's first steps. First step, first two steps, excuse me. First step is identifying what you feel. The second step is how do I re react or cope, right? So right now I feel, when I feel this way is number two, we now identify the coping mechanism. And then step three is, but the truth is, right? So that transition is identifying and naming what the truth is. Once we know the truth is, we said, okay, because this is true about me, what can I now do differently instead of shutting down or escaping or proving it? I can chillax, I can calm down, I can engage, and I can move forward with confidence. Right. And so it's learning how to transition. If you think about it scientifically, it's literally shifting the pathways of those neurotransmitters. Um, the initial might be in the pain going one direction. And when we learn what the, the truth is, it's helping us go a new direction and developing a new pathway for us to follow with the brain. That's amazing right there. Um, I, I would have to imagine that step number three, the truth, is probably the hardest one to get to <laughs> just a little Very bit. Very good Because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to imagine if I'm in your office, man, I'd be like, I don't want to say the true thing. I don't want to talk yeah. about the true thing. I imagine that's Well, you really know what? Point. If many people don't, that's why we stay, it's oftentimes people, when you think about depression or anxiety, oftentimes why it's so hard to get out of that is because people either don't know the truth or it's really hard to switch to the truth uh, because we've spent so much time in our pain. Yeah. And so really being able to identify it, sometimes it's hard to identify the truth because we've lived in our pain so long. It's true. You know, it's funny. I, I had a friend of mine recently say uh, this about depression. I was like, wow, this is really good. He said, depression is the only disease that convinces you that nothing is wrong and that everything that's happening to you is right. So mm -hmm. when you get into that mess, right, like you can't, it's so you make you make stuff up in your head. Like it's manifesting mm -hmm. these things that are not real. Yeah, yeah. That's you think tough. about that concept of that violation of love. Love has to do with your identity. And so if all you've ever known is this identity of hurt, pain, depression, negative ways of coping, if that's all you've ever really engaged, then it's why wouldn't it feel like it's all there is? Right. I, and it's I'm glad you brought that up because this is something um, and I want to be careful with this because um, I don't want to try and offend anybody or, or like trigger somebody. But this is something that I deal with is that. You're talking about it specifically right there how like how how do i know who i am if this has just been the constant and i feel that sometimes and i've been guilty of, uh, of this in my life of letting myself be bipolar instead of tyler of kind of letting my mm. mental affliction become my personality which yeah. is in my opinion something you have to correct because i i, I don't want to go to people and say um, hi, I'm bipolar. My name is Tyler. It should be my name is Tyler and I suffer from bipolar. I think there's a big difference in that. There is. You know, what happens sometimes is that you just as you said, we start identifying by our pain, right? And so whether it's a diagnosis or any of those things of our experiences. And I love saying this is truth is truth, even when I don't believe it, right? And so when you're experiencing maybe the, 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 the most difficult parts of your bipolar disorder, the symptoms of that, it's not who you are all the time, 
right? right. There are times right. where it's really difficult, but it's not who you are all the time. And so what we're simply trying to do is identify who you are when the totality of who you are. So it's helping your brain shift over to what are those things that are real about who I am and learning to live in that. So it's literally a, a regulating process in the brain trying to shift those neurotransmitters. And so it takes work. The harder and longer someone has lived in that space, it's harder, it's harder to shift over. I can imagine that, yeah, for adults, that's definitely a tougher thing. And then I, I guess, you know, we talked about this during our conversation of, of trying to decrease that amount of time that when an adolescent is starting to go through something, that they get that help and they start a process, whatever that is. If it, if it is that process you're talking about, restorative therapy, it's mm -hmm. so essential. And it's, um, it's something, you know, kind of going into it uh, as far as getting that help. Um, I actually did a presentation with NAMI a couple weeks ago and we went to a Middle Eastern school mm. and kind of getting into that as far as like, we, we know it's difficult for different communities and going to talk to these kids uh, who are wonderful. And it's, it's, it's crazy to talk to kids and I know you do on a daily basis. They are smarter than we think they are. And we do not give them yeah. enough credit for knowing at least the kids nowadays, how much mm -hmm. they really know about all these things. And the right. heartbreaking thing after this presentation is we, you know, we have kids that'll come up and, and talk to presenters. Um, all of them, Michael said, what do I do if my parents do not let me go see a doctor? And what if they do not believe what I'm going through is real? And it's, yeah. I, I, I do not know. And it's actually, I'm told not to answer that question because that's just something you can't really touch. But I know that you working with families is such a big part of your career and your yeah. passion when it comes to everything that we're kind of talking about with those physical roadblocks, right? Instead of those mm -hmm. mental ones we put in, in place, how difficult are those things to overcome? Extremely. Um, you know, there's, from my perspectives, I obviously wouldn't see anybody if a parent wasn't um, on board because that's the only way they can get to me um, is through a parent. Um, but what we do know, there are avenues for young people. And I think that that's what's hard sometimes is that, um, they may not know what the avenues are. You've got schools that have individuals can help them out, um, things like that. But yes, it is really difficult. Thought I put that on. Do not disturb. <laughs> um, and so it's it's really difficult. And it's uh, probably the thing that aches me the most is when I have um, obstacles that are before me, um, trying to help someone out, whether it's a young person or an adult. Uh, but I think what I've discovered as a professional and as an individual is just that I, I have only a certain level of influence and leeway in the lives of someone. And unfortunately, I can't reach them all. But when those that have come across my path, I do what I best that I can. Um, and so it's unfortunate because it is out there. There are many, many physical obstacles that are in the way. It's tough. Yeah, because you don't you can't tell a 13 year old kid that comes up to you like you can't bypass their, their guardians, their parental units. Mm. Like it's a, it's a very, that's a gray area. That's really tough yeah. to get into. But uh, like you said, it's gotta be so painful to see a kid who wants to get help that knows there's yeah. something wrong and they can't do anything about it. Um, yeah, it, it's really tough. Um, yeah. And, you know, kind of sticking on that subject, you know, uh, for our YouTube viewers, if you're watching it, it's February 1st and tomorrow, Michael's the beginning of February. What's is the beginning of Black History Month. And this is something that you and I also discussed, um, is that, again, mental health is not monolithic to a community or, or an ethnicity. And just like I described, mm -hmm. like it is different for every single community, but at least here in America, the black experience when it comes to mental health and just health overall is unique, and that is a very complicated one. Mm -hmm. So yeah. 
it's one of those things, again, roadblocks. It's a distrust in the medical community. It's a cultural stereotypes, but it's something that we need to learn more about and progress as a country. Have you seen steps taken there? Like, uh, what what do you see on a kind of a daily basis that here's worth what's working? Where are improvements needed? Um, so, you know, I have a little bit of a, a uh, biased view being a black male, um, black male therapist. Uh, one, there are not very many of us in Austin, the Austin area, much less across the country. Uh, there are very few. So I think that um, where I say I have kind of a biased view is when someone's seeking out um, help and wants someone that of my demographic, it's pretty easy to find me because there's not very many um, in the community. Um, so I think that's one thing. I think the other thing that's happening is I think the, com- the, the conversation is opening within uh, communities of color. Um, and I think that people are recognizing whether it was the pandemic and I think maybe it started before that um, is that people are recognizing something's up and what we've been doing isn't working. And so we've got to seek out some help beyond it. So I think that's happening. I think our systems still have a way, way to go because not only our services maybe not as accessible, maybe they're not um, equipped with people that look like people of color. Um, and so there, there are things that need to be done to try to recruit and build in those that process, uh, but also to know that research um, uh, practices, treatment oftentimes have been geared to non uh, people that are uh, uh, people of color. Right. So I think there are improvements happening. Uh, we still have we still have a ways to go, but I think it's happening. I see more people are reaching out and more people are seeking it out in, in uh, communities of color. Which is great. I mean, it's something that I've said on the show that I had to check myself was like literally one of the first episodes um, is if you're going to go get a therapist, which is great, find somebody like you, find somebody of shared experience, sex, and then realizing that and having people say the same thing of like, well, I don't have anybody that is like me that I can go to. That's a problem, right? Because it is for me, for somebody that looks like me, I, I can go wherever, right? Which is, I mean, that's great, but that needs to be the case for everybody else. Right. And it's, you know, it's what's really hard is I honestly right now myself trying to recruit other therapists of color, specifically men uh, that identify as men is it's hard because there aren't many out there. And if they're out there, either have their own practices or they're just as full as I am when it comes to, to work. And so um, it's having that. But I think the other end of that is and I don't know for you and I talked about this beginning or when we met is I young black men or you maybe probably young black girls see it more, but I, I never saw a counselor, a black male counselor come to my um, career day. Um, I don't remember any other men in my community talking about counseling. I didn't hear about counseling till I was in college. Um, didn't even know the terminology or think about it till I was in college. And so I think some of the, the change has to come in that where you aren't seeing what I do isn't put in front of young people that feel like it's something they can aspire to. We talk a lot about people seeking services, which needs to happen, but we need providers that look like us too. And I don't know that that effort's happening near as much. It's it's something that is concerning, right? And it, and it does need to happen. Uh, I've had lengthy conversations uh, uh, with one of my psychologists who Uh, is an Asian woman, and she talks about the same thing, that there is no outlet for anybody to go to, um, that when they're represented medically, it's misdiagnosis, it's wrong medication, we just got to start getting these things right. And one thing that you did touch on that I harp on a lot, and I know you do too, is that when it comes to men, specifically men, Mm -hmm. we do not talk about our issues enough, and we're 
I mean, honestly, we're the biggest part of the problem when it comes right. to mental health, at least in this country, of not taking care of our well-being. And it leads to a lot of hate. It leads to a lot of violence. And we see that uh, all over the place. Um, right. I mean, what what is your kind of message to young men as far as uh, speaking with them and kind of getting them out of their shell? If you, if you were talking to somebody right now, if you're talking to me and I, I you know, you could see that I could probably use some services, what would be the message? Uh, it's funny as you say that. I literally was talking to a friend yesterday on the phone and having a very similar conversation. And my response to him was similar to this. Um, he was talking about some hatred, right? Some hatred in his life uh, towards a family member. And my response was, where has that hatred gotten you? If you think about it, I, we want to live silent, um, putting on a facade. We want, you want to continue hurting. At some place, that's got to be too much. It's got to be enough. Why not try something different? And so it's allowing yourself to see that, okay, what I'm doing, what's been happening, hasn't worked, or it keeps landing me in the same spot. How about try something different? Why not take a step in seeking out someone? And it may be a soft, soft uh, step, right? It may not be exactly to a uh, mental health professional like myself initially, if that's the scary part. Uh, maybe you find a trusted friend. Maybe you find um, clergy or someone in your life that you do trust. Take that step to talk to someone. Then if needed, come on up and you need to see someone that's a professional. You've got to, we've got to start trying something different. Right, we got to do something different. So, running around sexual activity, drugs, violence, all these different things to try to 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 fulfill whatever those those gaps are in our lives hasn't worked over history. So, when do we start trying something different? I like that message. That's that's really good. I wish I had heard that when I was younger because I did all those things you just listed. I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the way it goes. Uh, and I, yeah. man, I kind of feel like us men, we we're the emotional creatures. Not to marginalize women, but it's us. And I, I like the soft-handed approach because it seems like that's that's kind of what got me to the table. It seems like it'll probably get this individual to the table. That's a really good message. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, man, before we get you out of here, do you have any parting words of wisdom for anybody else in our audience who's, I know you can't see our, our Twitch chat, but they are absolutely loving you right now. <laughs> so <laughs> that's you've, good. you've got some fans tonight, my friend. Oh, that's cool. Uh, you know, I think along the lines, I, I know we are approaching on Black History Month and obviously I'm a black male, but man, all of us are experiencing difficulty. All of us have had pains in our lives. Um, and to whatever degree, some of us um, naturally have supports, which is wonderful, um, that are uh, to be able to get us through those things. But many of us struggle, and so uh, there's nothing wrong with seeking help. And I know maybe it's a little trendy right now, right, to say it's okay not to be okay, but it is the truth uh, that we all are going to have difficulties. I think it's a more a judge of your character when you seek out help than trying to take it all on your own. And so whether it's identified male, female, trans, any of those things, it's just being at a place to say individuals, not things. We're all individuals, not things. Um, is being able to allow ourselves to say, um, I'm, I'm struggling and I want something different. And where, who can I just reach out to find the help? Man, I love that. I appreciate that message. And I, I appreciate you coming on the show to share with us uh, your experiences and your expertise. Um, I actually, I think I'm going to look into uh, restoration therapy. That's not something I've ever done before, but it's one of those things when you hear about it, and that's always the goal with these shows is that one person and that one person tonight, at least one is me. That yeah. might be something I look into. That's because um, I think that is something we all struggle with. Like who is the true me? 
What, yeah. what do I need to work on? You know, it's great if you know you need to get help, but then trying to figure out what you need to do, that's a tough mm-hmm. part. So um, It is. Yeah. Well, I will say to you is there are, I am the only restoration therapy in the Austin area right now. I say right now because we are working to make that change to train more people in the area. It's a new practice. And so um, obviously there are folks you can get in contact with. Um, um, it's actually restoration training. Uh, com, I believe, is where you can find uh, a listed therapist, but um, it's a new practice, and so there aren't um, many out there, and in the Austin area, I am the only right now. All right, well, what's your schedule like next week, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to make sure that's not crossing some dual, some yeah. dual uh, uh, relationship stuff, but we'll, we'll figure we, can get it you, out. we can get you figured out. I appreciate but, yeah, that. Thanks. Anybody man. out there that's looking for it, definitely give me a holler, but be on the lookout. We have training coming up to be able to train more therapists in the community to help out. I think that's great. Um, I think the mission you're on and the work you do, I mean, every time we have somebody like you on, it's just like, thank you for doing what you do. And, uh, it's so important. And thank you for taking the time to be with us today, Michael. Really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. The time I appreciate you getting it out there. Awesome. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care. See ya. Man, Michael's awesome. He's great. First time we met up for coffee, we talked for like four hours. That's like my favorite when you go um, meet a person for the first time and you just you you lose track of the time and you just keep going. Uh, but what Michael said there, I mean, it's just everything he touched on. It's Again, it's just reinforcement. A lot of it, you know, we've discussed on the show, but man, I thought that was so interesting about what he said about that pain cycle to peace cycle and then finding the truth of what is actually going on. Like some of the, all these things are like simplistic, right? But it, it, it's, they're not. And they're really, really convoluted and messy. Um, but I, that was just such great advice. Um, and that's wild. Like, Clearly, if we have any therapists in the audience or aspiring therapists, you should reach out to Michael. Um, He told me about some of the folks he's working with, and they're really good young minds that have a different perspective on things. Uh, And clearly he does, which is is what we need. We need more. We need more of more. Um, Yeah, I'll I'll let you guys, uh, or I'll send your love to Michael after this and let him know that you guys are losing it. Um, That was tremendous. He was a great guest. Um, and I guess to kind of wrap up the show, I don't have any homework for you guys today, so I might just take some uh, Twitch questions after the show. I know this was kind of a quick one. I didn't want to have Michael on too long because we got a late start, and I know he's probably got things to get to, uh, but we might have to have him on the show again. Well, hell, he just might be my new therapist. I don't know. I liked what he was talking about, um, and that's kind of the thing, and that was a difficult conversation, and I'm glad we got to touch on it, and I wanted to. Um, Because I've said it on the show before about you need to go find somebody that fits you. And look, I'm a white dude in America. That's about as good as you can get in this lifetime right now in terms of like I can walk into any place and do anything I want. Not saying it's right. It's reality. So I have my pick of the litter of what I can do. But that is not the same for everybody else. And it certainly needs to be. It's I think why we have so many issues when we continue with dumb stereotypes with certain ethnicities of like, well, they, well, they don't have outlets. No, we don't have outlets for everybody, and that's a problem. Hopefully, we can get it to that point where it's not. Um, but hey, I wanted to thank everybody for joining the show tonight for our first episode. It's good to be back. Uh, we have our second episode coming out later this week. 
Um, remember to uh, subscribe to this Twitch channel if you want to be a part of our subs Discord where we get to play games. Uh, you know, I get your direct feedback from the show. Um, you know, I don't want you guys spending your money. We all know there's not a lot to go around, but if you do want to sub, it's so greatly appreciated. Uh, I want to give it up to our mods, Dr. Bacon uh, and Curry, for uh, running our Discord channel. You guys are the bee's knees. I love you all. I want you guys to stick with us. If this is the first time watching the show, we'd love to have you come back and be a part of the conversation. we got a great community here, and um, they're my favorite people in the world. They all know that. So thanks again to our guest, Michael Cox. Thanks, you, uh, thanks to you guys for watching the show. We will be back next time. So until then, take heart and take care.